Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 13. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, shall you make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lamb at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lentil of the house in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh at night, roasted on fire, with unleavened bread and bitters they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roast it, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it with haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For you will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on your house where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Exodus 12, verse 21 through 28. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select a lamb for yourself according to your clan, and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and touch the lentil and the doorpost with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of this house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lentil and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter the house to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord has given you, as he promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt. When he struck the Egyptians, but spared our house, and the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Then the people of Israel went and did so. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Luke 22, verses 7 through 20. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house where he enters, and tell the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. 
And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. Hey, everybody, good morning and uh, welcome to Christ Community Chapel. So, so glad you're here. Uh, thanks for coming. I welcome those of you at our East service, those of you who are tuning in online. Uh, welcome. Uh, two weeks ago uh, this morning, uh, my father passed away. Uh, he uh, was a great man and was uh, my hero for all my life. And I just want to take a moment and thank all of you who uh, have reached out in one way or another to uh, share your prayers and your love and your comfort and your strength. Uh, I am really, really grateful. You know, in 40 years of ministry, I have heard a lot of people who go through difficult times say, I don't know how anyone makes it without Jesus and without Jesus' people. And I am uh, now one of those. Uh, so thank you. And that uh, means I, I want to take just a minute. I'm going to give the message in a minute, but I want to uh, take a moment and uh, talk to you as uh, your pastor. And I have three things to say, even in a pastor's moment. I have three things. <laughs> the first is this. If you are here uh, and you uh, have not yet surrendered yourself completely to Jesus, uh, do it. I know there's a gap uh, for a lot of people between when you are convinced that Jesus really is who he said he is that he is the one who lived in your place and died in your place and resurrected. And there's a gap between knowing that in your head and really surrendering your life completely to him and saying, I want you to be my Savior, my Lord. And if you're in that gap right now, just do it. Don't put it off. You know you need Jesus. And you really do. So you can do that whether you are here or whether you are online, wherever you can do it now, I would do it. That's the first thing. The second thing, and I know, I know in a church our size, it's easy to be a spectator. And what I mean by that is it's easy to come each week or to watch each week and, and you get the, the whole service and the, the message and then you go home, but you never really get connected. And I want you to stop being a spectator. Uh, because there's going to be a storm in your life that's coming, or you may already be in the storm, and you will need Jesus, and you will need Jesus' people. And when that happens, you need to be connected. So this is what I want you to do after this service. Uh, I want you to go out into the atrium, go to the Next Steps area, and just tell the people there. There will be a bunch of people there. Just say, hey, I'm ready to move from being a spectator to being connected. Tell me what I need to do. What's my next step? And they'll help you take 
the next step. All right, and the final thing is kind of a weird thing. If you ever decide to leave our church, uh, what I want you to do is get involved immediately in the next church. Uh, Don't wait. And I say that because uh, we'll have people leave our church for one reason or another. For years, they'll be gone, and then someone dies. And because they're not really connected in that church, they come back to us and ask us to do the funeral. And, of course, we do it. But the, the comfort and the, the love and what they need to carry them through that time is not really there because they haven't been here. So listen, if you're here and you're thinking about leaving our church, uh, you need to either forgive us for whatever we've done, right? And if you're here and you're thinking, oh, this church is great, there's going to come a time when we're going to disappoint you and you're going to need to forgive us. Either forgive us and jump back in. Or when you leave, go and get Uh, involved right away. You're going to need Jesus and Jesus people. All right. Okay. That's it. Thanks so much. And now let's talk about the wild and wonderful story of the Passover. If you have ever wondered uh, about the connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament, if you've ever wondered about the connection between Judaism and Christianity, this is it. This is the story the Passover. All right, we are five weeks into our 10-week series on the life of Moses. We're right at the midway point. The life of Moses began because the people of Israel were enslaved. They could not save themselves, so they cried out to God, and God hears, God sees, God knows, so he sends Moses. And Moses goes to Pharaoh with a message from God, and the message is, let my people go that they may serve and worship me. What Moses was telling Pharaoh is these people were not designed to serve and worship you. They were designed to serve and worship me. Now, we talked about this a few weeks ago, that you are never truly free until you are serving and worshiping God. You are the, the very best version of yourself. And you know this. If you've been a Christian any length of time, you are the very best version of yourself when you are serving and worshiping God. And if you are not the best version of yourself right now, that's where you start. You look at your life and see if you are really serving or worshiping him. Because you are designed to serve and worship something. You will be serving and worshiping something. It might be your kids. It might be your family. It might be your spouse. It might be your job. It might be your hobby. But if you are doing any of those, you are not the best version of yourself, and you know it. You know it. So Moses goes to Pharaoh with that message that these people were designed to serve and worship God. You need to let them go. Pharaoh says no. So then uh, God unleashes a series of plagues, 10 plagues, and Zach covered that last week. And the 10th plague is the plague that is going to do the trick. And this is where it gets weird. All right. Now, God, I told you a few weeks ago, God is a perfectionist. He does everything for a reason. And so he goes to Moses and he tells Moses, okay, this next plague is going to do the trick. Pharaoh will let you go after this next plague. Okay. All that makes sense to me. And then he says this, He goes, so, but I need you to, there's more to this. This is going to be a different kind of plague. So what I need you to do is tell all the Israelites to take a lamb, 
uh, slaughter the lamb, collect the blood, put the blood on the doorpost of their house, tell them to go into their house and not come out. That's going to be important detail. Don't come out, right? Stop right there. All right, I want you to think how strange that must have sounded. All right, if you're an Israelite, Moses couldn't tell you that personally. There were too many people. What he did was he told some people, and he goes, go and tell everybody, right? So you, if you're an Israelite, somebody comes to you and they say, hey, listen, there's something big going on tonight. This is what you got to do. You got to take a lamb, and you're going, wait, what, what? Slow up. What do I have to do? Take a lamb, take a lamb, and do what? Kill the lamb, kill the lamb. Okay. Take the blood, put it on the doorpost of your house, and you're going, really? Okay. Okay, put it on my, and then, he, and then go in your house and don't come out. And at that point, you're going, Okay. Can God not tell the difference between Egyptians and Israelites at night? I mean, <laughs> why do I have to stay in the house, right? But at the end of that night, in every house, someone was dead. It was either a dead son or a dead lamb. And then God says, Moses, I'm not done yet. Not only do they do that, this is what I want you to do. From now on, every year, you're to gather in the same month, the same week, and you're to reenact this story. I want you to remind yourself and tell your children of the night that they were saved by the blood of a lamb. Every year, the same month, same week, don't miss it. That was 3,500 years ago. Jews are doing it today. 800 years after Moses, there was a Jewish prophet named Isaiah. This is what he says about some mysterious person that is to come. He says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him the ch chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then this, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that it before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. 700 years after that, a man named John the Baptizer is standing by the Jordan River. And he sees Jesus at a distance and he points at him and he says, out of all the ways that he could have described his cousin, out of all the things he could have said, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Three years after that, Jesus is with his disciples and they're they are doing the Passover. They are telling the story like they had been doing for 1,500 years, the same month, the same week. And Jesus was telling the story of how they were saved by the blood of a lamb. And Jesus takes bread like this, and he breaks it, and he says, this is my body, my body for you. And then he takes a cup of wine and he says, this is my blood that is poured out for you to save you. God is a perfectionist. Everything he does, he does for a reason. The Bible is one story with one hero. That hero 
is Jesus. Don't miss. Don't miss the story as it points to Jesus. All right, I have three points with this message. If you're a note taker, you can uh, write these down or if you just want to know where I'm going. Uh, The first point is judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. The second point is God provides. God provides. And the third point is look for the blood of the lamb. Look for the blood of the lamb. First, judgment is coming. Uh, We have an assumption. uh, Every human being, I think, has this assumption. It runs very deep. It's really hard to get rid of in your lifetime. And the assumption is that uh, God is obligated to us in some way. That, uh, we, that we can expect from God that God owes us a, a pretty good life, a pretty safe life, a pretty comfortable life. And uh, that, that assumption bubbles up no matter how much you think that you don't believe it. Whenever a tragedy hits you personally or it happens corporately in our world, because you hear people all the time saying, I don't understand why God would allow this to happen. I don't understand why God would allow this to happen. Now, the reason it runs so deep is that we hardly ever take it out to examine it, because it's, it, that assumption is not very defensible. And this is what I mean. 15 years ago, we built an in-law suite onto our house, for my parents. And they lived there the last 15 years of their lives. And it was great. I was really glad that we did it. One of the best decisions that we made. But now both my parents are gone. And now we have a new family that has moved in. My daughter, Becca, her husband, Sean, their son, Ezekiel, and their dog, Stella, have all moved up from Houston, which is great. It's a great thing. It's great for us. It's great for you. So you don't have to see any more pictures of Ezekiel. You can actually see him in person, right? (laughs) But, uh, and everything's going well, but uh, I want you to just uh, imagine with me if this happened. Now, uh, this part is true. We have a skunk that lives uh, out back of our neighbor's uh, kind of field. I see that skunk uh, a couple times a week, right at dusk, waddling around. And let's say I tell uh, Sean and Beck, I say, listen, don't let Stella out at night. And uh, they go ahead and let Stella out at night. Stella tussles with the skunk, comes in, stinks up the whole house. Like, you know how that is. Like, just awful, right? And then let's say I tell them, listen, uh, the HVAC unit is a little bit finicky uh, over in the in-law suite. So don't run it cooler than 72. But they like to sleep cool. So they set it at 68. And then it breaks. And let's say they're calling their friends back in Houston and they're telling the story and they say, listen, we moved up here to move in with my parents, thought it was going to be great, but the house stinks. It's horrible. And there's no air conditioning. Can you believe it? And their friends say, I thought, how can your parents say that they love you and treat you like that? Now you get it, right? God says, Oh, when Jesus comes, Jesus says, you want to know all that God wants? I'll I'll just boil it down to two things. If you do these two things, this is all God wants. It will will go wonderful for you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. Love. You go anywhere in our world, 
anywhere in our country, and you say, listen, would love make our world better? They would go, yeah, if, if there was only love, right? That's what God says. And every single day, we trample on those two things. There is not a person here who will finish out today loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and loving your neighbor as yourself. So we trample that every single day, and then we say, why does it stink so bad in here? Why is there no air conditioning here? Right? Listen, the question shouldn't be, why does God allow bad things to happen? The question should be, why does God allow so many of us to live such good lives? Right? I had uh, you know, the scripture reading was uh, chapter uh, 12, but in chapter 11, uh, there was a verse that struck me. And this is the verse, this is a verse 5 of chapter 11. God is uh, telling Moses what's going to happen. And he says this, <clears throat> And every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl, who is behind the handmill. You hear what he's saying? He's saying judgment is coming, Moses, and it's coming for everybody. It's coming for the most, for Pharaoh, the most important Egyptian, and it's coming for the slave girl, the least important Israelite, right? The Israelites are not going to be saved because they're Jewish. They're not spared because they're the victims and the slaves instead of the slave masters. That's not it. What, if, if the Egyptians, if God's judgment was coming only for the Egyptians, there'd be no need for the Passover. What God is telling Moses is judgment is coming for everyone. And judgment is coming for you. As you sit there with a Bible on your lap, as, as sure as it's coming for the drag queen who's performing in the seediest bar. And this is one of the things that people quietly dislike about Christianity, even Christians quietly dislike that because this is what that means. You are no better and no safer than anyone else, right? You are no better than Pharaoh. You are no better than the slave girl. You are no better than anyone else. And to think you are means you're missing the entire point of the gospel, right? So that's the first thing. And it would be hopeless if it wasn't for my second point. My second point is that God provides. God provides. All through the Bible, there's this theme of how uh, to escape judgment. There's a way, a mechanism to escape judgment. And we should uh, recognize that because it's the same mechanism that is a day-to-day -day mechanism in our lives. And this is what I mean. I, I taught school for like six years. And uh, the school that I taught, uh, it was uh, the, one of the rules was you couldn't chew gum. Students couldn't chew gum, which makes perfect sense if you've ever seen the bottom of a desk <laughs> at school. So my students couldn't chew gum. And when I would be teaching, and if I caught somebody chewing gum, I would make them spit it out, but I wouldn't want to give them detention. I would, I would levy a fine. I would say, okay, spit out your gum. You owe me 50 cents. All right, so tomorrow, bring 50 cents. If you don't have it tomorrow, it doubles the next day. It'll be a dollar. I, I was like a loan shark at that point. <laughs> you owe me a dollar, right? So it'll happen. This would always happen. They, they'd come in the next day, and I would, I would look at my, like, at 
my notes and I would go, oh, Jimmy, you owe me 50 cents. You were chewing gum yesterday. And Jimmy would go, oh, oh, I don't have it. I said, oh, that's okay. You owe me a dollar tomorrow. And he'd be going, a dollar? I'd say, yeah, that was the deal. I told you a dollar tomorrow. The next day, it's going to be $2, right? It's going to keep going up till you buy my house, right? <laughs> this is the way. And then he was going, oh, and then I said, well, you can uh, try to get a friend to pony up 50 cents. And that kid would always just be going, please, somebody, somebody, please. And then somebody would give him 50 cents. The way to avoid judgment is always to have someone else pay. Always, right? Which is why in the Bible, forgiveness is always connected to sacrifice. In Genesis chapter 22, there's a story that every Israelite would know. And it's the story of Abraham and Isaac. And God goes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, whom you love. And I want you to take him up and sacrifice him to me. And so Abraham started up to go to this place called Mount Moriah. And he had Isaac with him, and they had the stuff for the sacrifice. They had wood, and they had the fire. And at one point in the walk, Isaac turns to his father and says, Father, I see that we have the wood, and we have, this, and we have the fire, but where is the sacrifice? And then Abraham turns to his son and says this, God will provide for himself a lamb for the burnt offering. God will provide for himself a lamb for the burnt sacrifice. You see, listen, God provides. The Israelites are there and God says judgment is coming for everyone. But then God provides a way for them to escape the judgment. But it wasn't because they were better people than the Egyptians. It wasn't because they were victims of uh, oppression. It wasn't because they were Israelites. The way God provided is they had to come underneath the covering of the blood of a lamb. He did that for a reason. I want you to, this is too, this is what's interesting, is that there was no kind of description of what kind of people could come into the house. I want you to imagine if you're an Israelite and you have the blood on your house, you open the door and somebody's out there and you say, listen, you come in. Come in. All you have to do is come in. Now, they didn't have to be particularly religious. You know, there were probably religious Jews and there were probably irreligious Jews. There were probably good people. There were probably liars and cheats. There is no description of what kind of people could come in. All you knew is that if you came in, judgment passed over. Right? And that brings me to my third point, which is look for the blood of the lamb. Look for the blood of the lamb. I think God loves patterns. I think God loves patterns. I think not just because he's a perfectionist. I think it's because he's so creative. But I think everywhere we look, there is a pattern telling us something about God and his plan. That's why when Jesus came and he was teaching, you know, I love analogies, right? Jesus would use analogies, but he wasn't really using an analogy. He was pointing out a pattern that was kind of weaved into the very fabric of creation. So when Jesus says, unless a grain of wheat falls in the ground and dies, it remains alone. That's a pattern that Jesus was saying, I, we weave this into the very fabric of creation so that when I would use this illustration, you would see. You know, one of the things about light is that 
We can't see light, but we see everything else because of light. And Jesus comes and he says, I am the light of the world. Every year we experience seasons, right? And in the winter here in Ohio, it looks like everything dies. And then in the spring, everything comes to life. It's a pattern. Remember reading one theologian who said that the most common expression in heaven will be, of course. Of course, because you'll see everything. So the Israelites are told by Moses, told by God, judgment is coming. But you have to find the covering. If you come under the blood of the lamb, judgment will pass over you. So they crowded into those houses so that judgment would pass over them because of the blood of the lamb. Then 1,500 years later, Jesus sits with his disciples, and they're telling the story, that story above all stories, the story of when God saved his people through the blood of the lamb, and Jesus takes a piece of bread, and he breaks it, and he says, this is my body for you. And then Jesus took a cup of wine. There were four cups of wine used in the Passover. The third cup was the cup of redemption. Most theologians believe that Jesus, when he took that third cup, the cup of redemption, is when he said, this is my blood poured out for you, for your redemption, to save you, for your forgiveness. Right? Patterns. Patterns. Two weeks ago, my dad passed away. And my dad had to come before judgment for everything that he had ever said, everything that he had ever done, everything he had ever thought. And judgment passed over my dad, not because he was a good man and not because he he was a religious man, but because my dad was under the blood of of the Lamb. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Do not miss Jesus. Everything points to Jesus. One story, one hero. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you and I'm so grateful. I'm grateful uh, that you warn us that judgment is coming for every single one of us, but you have given, you have provided a way uh, to avoid that judgment by paying for us, being the sacrifice. And so I pray for every person here that, they, that there would, wouldn't be a single person who listens to this or watches this or is here today that would not place themselves under the blood of the Lamb. So that when the time comes, when judgment comes for them, it will pass over them. Thanks for being a God of patterns that shows us over and over and over again the truth. Thanks for the Bible being one story with one hero, and that hero being you. We pray this in your name. Amen.